thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. I want to read our text for this morning, and maybe it'll kind of ring around and and, and sit with us as we do this, okay? It's from uh, Genesis 22. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 19. And it starts this way. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't miss that phrase. May you mark it, circle it, whatever it takes. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took him, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey where, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. I'll circle that, underline that. It's a critical statement. We will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering uh, and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. An angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. And now I know that you fear the God because you have not with you fear God because you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain the Lord will, will be provided. It will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of, your, of their enemies, and, though you're, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together to Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So uh, we looked at the story, right? We read through the, the, you know, the, the, the passage, but how did we get there? How did we get to this place where uh, Abraham has a kid, he's uh, making his way to a mountaintop? Why is it such a big deal? Well, there's many reasons, but why does this one stand out so much? Well, the very first thing we know is that starting in the uh, Abraham shows up on the scene starting in Genesis 12, and it's where God comes to him, and he calls him, and he says, Now the Lord said to Abra Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house and to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here he is. He's about 75 years old, living his life, doing his thing, kind of thinking maybe that he's in that last chapter. It's almost over. And God says, no, (laughs) no, not at all. I have something new for you. There's a brand new mission I'm about to take you on, and you're going to go with me because I'm calling you. I have a brand new thing for you, and this brand new thing will bless all the people of the earth. Can you imagine hearing that? You're just, I mean, you're just soaking it up. You got your feet kicked up a little bit on the rocking chair on your porch. I don't know. Does anybody have a porch that you would actually have a rocking chair? I don't know. But, you know, you're doing that thing, right? And all of a sudden, God says, hey, I got a whole new mission. It's going to take quite a while, and it's going to be really uncomfortable. You're going to have to go to a distant land. You're going to take everything you have, and you're going to wind up with nothing because uh, even though I'm going to give you everything, you're going to lose everything before you have everything. You're going to go through a famine. All sorts of craziness is going to happen. You're going to have to fight a king where you've been living in peace. It's going to get nuts, but I'm ready. You ready? What? I was just retiring. But I was the easy street now. So those of you that are about ready to retire, you're warned. Those of you that are retired, you're warned. God's still using you. He hasn't stopped. And your age does not dictate his plans. So be prepared. Right? So he says yes. And he goes. And along the way, listen, he messes up a bunch of times. Along the way, he gets a little nervous. Along the way, he tries to steer his own path. Along the way, he goes, oh, I don't know if God's going to take care of this one. So he tries to take care of it. Oh, man, he's a nightmare sometimes. And then other times, he's like, yeah, Abraham, you're our man. Right? He does it all. He's got the whole deal. And he winds up in Canaan, and the Lord appears to him again. And he says at the time when, check this out now. Check this out. First of all, they don't have any kids. Right? Uh, they made this blunder and, uh, you know, eh. Sarah took one of her servants and said, hey, uh, go sleep with my husband because the Lord made this promise to us that we'll have lots of kids, but we don't have any kids and I can't have kids. So, you know, go, go sleep with my husband. And let's have some kids. And Abraham, like a knucklehead, said, hey, that's a good idea. What a dork. And right. And so just uh, chaos, you know, just it's, it's wrong. So here they are. And Sarah's 90 and Abraham's uh, 99, right? And the Lord shows up. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am, the God, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham, Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. You shall be a father of a multitude of nations. And within the next year, Isaac is born. He uh, says in Hebrews, and I put the passage in there, that it's, that he, it's like he, had, he came to, after this, and the Lord saved him with a ram, so they didn't have to sacrifice him. It was as if he came, he got, uh, got life twice. He escaped death twice because Sarah's womb was dead and was brought to life, and so he lived. And then he was supposed to be sacrificed, and God provided, so he lived. The things the Lord does are just absolutely astounding and amazing. And he will do whatever it takes, whatever miraculous act is needed, whatever impossible uh, thing that is needed to carry out his will and his way in our lives. 
So the covenant now, this promise of a great nation, this promise of a father, to be a father of a great nation, the promise of inheriting this land, the promise of occupying this land, the promise of being a people of God now rests in Isaac. And so here's Isaac, the promised child. Can you imagine how precious that child is to, to, to Abraham and, and to Sarah? Can you imagine how, 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 you know, the things that Abraham wanted to teach him? Yeah, yeah, the, the covenant rests with you. <laughs> All our promises are wrapped up in you, little guy. Don't miss it. Right? Can you imagine all that? And so sure enough, that's happening, and, and all this is taking place. And then, and then all of a sudden, we see God show up on the scene, speak again, and he says this. Sometime later, God tested Abram, and he said to him, Abram, here I am. He, he said, Abram, here I am, he replied. So the first thing I want us to see in this passage is we take a new perspective on a very familiar passage is this. Abraham was a man who was faithful to God. Abraham was a man who was faithful to God. And we use that phrase a lot. Let's be faithful, faithfulness. But I want to tell you that we're given a little glimpse in this passage. What does it mean to be faithful? Here I am. What does it mean to be faithful? Here I am. To say that he was a faithful man of God, to say he faithfully followed, to say that you faithfully followed, to say that I faithfully follow God, what is that definition going to entail? What are we, how are we going to put some nuts and bolts to it? How are we going to put a description to it? Here I am. We are ready, we are available, and we will go when the Lord asks us to go. Here I am. And then the Lord makes this crazy request. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now, hold on a minute. I just got to call this out because it was astounding when I realized this. That word love, that's the first time it shows up in Scripture. It took 22 verses, took 22 chapters, took most of Genesis, the one you love. And what does this love describe? It describes the love of a father for a son. Oh, what a beautiful picture. The love of our father for his son, the love of him, of his for us, his sons and daughters. Oh, what a beautiful picture we see the very first time the word love is used. But we know that's an intense love. We know that's a sacrificial love. We know that's a love at all costs. We know that's a love that'll lay your life down. That's a love that won't stop at anything to protect that which you love. We know what kind of love that is, a father that loves his son, a mother that loves his son or daughter. Oh, we know what that love is. That's an intense love. That's a committed love. He says, I want you to take the one you love, the one that the covenant rests with, the one that all my promises are wrapped up in, and I want you to go sacrifice him. Now, first of all, the Canaanites, they were living in the land of Canaan, and the Canaanites did practice child sacrifice. It was, that would have been common there, but it is not common among the people of Abraham. It is not common among the people of Yahweh. It is not common. Matter of fact, that is, a, that is a, an, a, an abomination to God. That is not a practice that would be practiced. And so here God is telling him, I want you to go do this. Can you imagine Abraham's brain must have just been flipping inside out? What? None of this makes any sense. Everything, this is my child. This is the one I love. This is the one you gave me. This is the one the promise is wrapped up in. And now you want me to go do something that would be an absolute abomination to you? None of this makes sense. It's right, it doesn't make sense. But to a faithful man, here's what he understood. God would provide the sacrifice. God would provide that which was needed. He would not get to the place. He would not have to sacrifice his son. He knew that the Lord would provide that which was needed. What he was being asked to do was to be faithful. 
what he was being asked to do was to be faithful. What's that definition of faithful? Here I am. But it's more than just here I am. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded the donkey. Uh, Faithfulness does not delay. Faithfulness does not delay. It says here I am and it does not delay. When the Lord says go, we say yes. He got up the next morning and left even though it all sounded crazy. And why would we delay? Let's be honest, church. Why would we delay? Is it because we have a better plan than God does? Why would we delay? Because our timing is better than God's timing? Because we are omniscient and all-knowing and ever-present, and we would know what the best time is and not God? Oh, faithfulness says, here I am, and we go without delay. But it's more than just going without delay. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and they cut enough wood for the burnt offering, and he set out for a place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw a place in the distance. So uh, Moriah would have been about 50 miles away. We have no idea what mountain was. He obviously didn't know what mountain it was there. And so he would travel for three days journey, about 50 miles. And can you imagine how many opportunities there were to go, this can't be right. This has to be insane. This isn't right. What am I doing? This is my son. Can you imagine all the time he had to talk himself out of being obedient, for obeying, being faithful? Can you imagine all the times that he had Can you imagine all the little lizards you saw running around the desert going, how about 10 lizards? Better than my son, right? Can you imagine all the deals he was trying to make with God, all the the fleeces he was putting out there? Can you imagine how hard he was looking with the servants? Do you see a ram? Do you see a goat? Do you see, how about a camel? We'll sacrifice anything but my son. Can you imagine? And yet what did he do? He continued. He did not turn back. You see, that's what faithfulness is. It's continuing and not turning back until God gives us a new path. It's staying faithful to that which the Lord has told us to do, and we don't turn back until he gives us a provision or a new thing to do. Oh, we're wide-eyed looking for that ram. We're wide-eyed looking in the thickets. We're wide-eyed looking for God's provision. But we keep the course until the Lord provides a different one. No matter how we feel, no matter how many ways we try to justify our actions, We stay faithful to what the Lord said is right and good. He was a man that was faithful to God. He said, here I am. He refused to delay, and he stayed the course until God altered it. How about us? Will we be a faithful people? I think we will. I think we will. Abraham was a trusted father. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place and the distance, and he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, then we will come back to you. And I said that word we was so important. Circle it, underline it, whatever you got to do. Because number one, Abraham was absolutely certain that they would return. Abraham was 100% certain that they would return. His trust in God was unshakable, which meant that his son had trust in his father because his father's trust was in the unshakable God. And so he put his trust in there. We oftentimes get the picture that Abraham was this like, you know, little baby that they put in one of those little, like, you know, sling things and, and carried it around and let's go, let's go, son. Are you kidding me? He was big enough to put the wood on his back to carry up a mountain. There's a chance that he was anywhere from the age of 14 to 20. He could have taken his 115-year-old dad out. I mean, come on. And yet what did he do? He followed his father because he trusted his father. 
Why did he trust his father? Because his father was faithful. Because he had heard the stories of the journey. He had heard the stories of the faithfulness. He had heard the stories of his failures and how he turned his life back to the father and began to follow him faithfully. He knew that he could trust his father. And when his father said, we will return, that they would return. He knew that he could trust his father when his father said, the Lord will provide, that the Lord would provide. And how did he know that? Because his father was faithful and lived out his faith in front of his son. Because he trusted in the Lord and did not alter. How is it that we can grow to be trusting in the Lord so that people may trust us? We have to be in the word every day. We have to know the promises of God. That's what Abraham knew. He knew the promise. He knew this was the covenant child. He knew that the promise was wrapped up in him. He knew that the Lord had done amazing things to give him this son. He knew the promises of God and he trusted the promises of God. If we're not in scripture, we're not learning the promises of God and we're not learning to trust the promises of God. We must be in scripture. We must be reminded of the truth of God's character and who he is, that we know him and we know how he acts so that we trust him that others will know that we can be trusted because of our trust in him. We need to be in prayer, having this constant dialogue with the living God. He meant for you to be in prayer, to talk, yes, but to listen also to know the voice of the Lord. And then we need to be with one another. And that is the part that the American church is neglecting more and more every day. We're spending less and less time together, helping one another in our walks with Christ. We're spending less and less time with one another, teaching one another how to trust God and who he is. We're spending less and less time holding one another accountable. We're spending less and less time teaching each other. We need to be together in the body of Christ. That's what we're called to do. Abraham was a trusted father, and people could look at his trust for the Lord and trust him. Is that true of us? Can people look to us and trust us? Can our sons and daughters trust us? Because of how much we trust our Father in heaven. Abraham was a father who taught. Remember the question that was posed that they asked. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. He taught. He could have said, hey, kid, it'll be taken care of, all right? Just trust your dad. He taught. He could have said, look, I said, just get moving. So get moving. He taught. I would imagine we're not told. I'd imagine he had to do some teaching all along the way. I would imagine that he had to take those moments on that long three-day journey, and he had to teach along the way. And we know for sure in that very moment, right there, he said, the Lord will provide. He took an everyday moment that was pretty extraordinary in that moment, but he said, the Lord will provide. I know that right now all you see is the wood and you see the fire and you see the knife, and I understand that, but the Lord will provide. He took what he had and he taught the best he could teach, and he wanted to help his son to trust in the Lord the way that he trusts in the Lord. Moms, dads, friends, brothers, sisters, neighbors, are you teaching? Are you teaching all those around you who the Lord is? Are you teaching them the truth of who God is? 
Are you teaching them how to follow God? Are you teaching them the, the goodness of who God is? Are you teaching them the promises of God? Let's just focus in on our own kids for a moment, whether they're, you know, this big or they're uh, way too big. We continue to teach day after day, moment after moment. One of the greatest things ever said to me was this. Every moment is a teaching moment. If you're going to write anything down today, write that down. Every moment is a teaching moment. Don't miss one of them. You take the normal things of life. You're in a grocery store and somebody starts to lose their cool. You grab your kid and on your way out, first of all, you don't take them out of the way. You let them watch them lose their cool. And then on your way out, you say, hey, hey, son, hey, daughter. If we're in that situation, what could we do? Did that situation honor God? How could we have acted more godly? How could we have had a more godly character right there? You see, we take the normal parts of life and we teach. We bring scripture into those normal everyday moments. We bring the truth of who God is into those everyday moments. And we teach and we teach and we teach. And that's how we develop our young ones. And that's how we develop our older ones. And that's how we stay faithful to help all that are in the midst of our life know who God is. This past week, my 23-year-old son and I were at a restaurant having dinner because it never stops. We don't ever get to hang it up. We never retire from teaching. And so we were sitting there, and this guy comes and bumps into us, and, and I'm like, oh, drunk man. And so we start to talk and have a little conversation. I'm like, all right, buddy, be safe. And we did our little conversation, and he went on. And suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I realized that it had been a few minutes, and he was making his way back behind us, and I saw that he had joined a table of young ladies. I just turn around in my seat, and I stare at him. I'm like, what's this dude doing? And my son's sitting there talking to me, and all of a sudden he stops, and he realizes what I'm doing. First and foremost, I'm teaching my son. I'm teaching my son. And then we're looking, and we're trying to guess. And I say, hey, do you think these ladies know that guy? I go, he goes, I don't know. They're being kind of nice to him. Ladies, when a drunk guy sits down at your table, don't be nice to him. Ask him to leave. You can be polite, but don't be nice like you know him. We literally sat there for 10 minutes trying to figure out if they knew him. And all of a sudden, he starts touching and grabbing. And they were extremely uncomfortable. And so I got up out of my seat, and I went over. And I put my hand firmly on his shoulder, and I said, it's time to go. And he started to get a little lippy and a little this or that. And I said, no, it's time to go. These ladies don't want you here. They don't want your company. And you're drunk and you're being a jerk. It's time to go. He got up. He looked at me. Stuck his chest out a little bit. I'm like, oh, no, mine's way bigger. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. He looked at me and said, thanks. Because I was getting a little out of line. And I said, yeah. He goes, can I sit with you? I said, Absolutely. So he came over and joined my son and I, and we started having a conversation and found out why he was drunk and found out that he had lost his girlfriend and blah, 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 blah. We just started talking about life. And the whole reason why he got drunk was so he could go in and take advantage of another girl and try to feel better about himself. And I said, man, don't you do that. Are you kidding me? And we got to talk, got to share some truth with him. We got to tell him some different things. What was I doing? Oh, I definitely wanted to share. I wanted to teach this guy. I want a chance to walk alongside of him. I want a chance to 
to walk alongside these ladies, absolutely. I was teaching my son how he was going to respond if he was ever in that situation and how he was going to trust the Lord for the results. I had no idea. For all I knew, this guy was going to, you know, do whatever. I don't know. But all I know is I was teaching my son how to trust the Lord in that situation. Always teach. Never stop. Be a faithful one who teaches the things and the ways of the Lord. And finally this, Abraham was a world-changing father. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. And now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. An angel called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That means it cannot be broken. That means it cannot be broken. He cannot go against himself. He cannot break his word. He cannot go back on what he says. It is a permanent declaration of covenantal promise. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. You remember when you were young? Some of you are young right now. You had these great dreams of what you were going to do in life, how you're going to change the world, you're going to conquer this and make this happen and do this and that. And some of those have come to pass for you. You've been able to experience some of those, and they've been good. You really wanted to put your thumbprint on some part of the world. You wanted your, your footprint to be left there, that you were used to change the world. Do you understand what's happening here? We're seeing it all over again, that blessing follows obedience. You want to be a world changer? You want to be somebody who truly leaves their thumbprint on the world, their footprint there? You want to be somebody who literally, their life is literally used for all of history to change all the world? You want to be used for that? Then be obedient to God. That when he says, follow me, you say, here I am. He says, follow me, you go without delay. He says, follow me, you don't turn back until he gives you an alternate path or a different provision. You want to be a world changer? You want to leave your thumbprint somewhere? You want to give something that doesn't rust uh, to rot, rust, or spoil, or fade away? Then be obedient to the Lord and watch what he'll do through you because we can't comprehend what he might do. There was no way that Abraham could have fully understood what was going to happen because of his obedience. There was no way that he could fully understand that every major religion, there's three of them, there's three major religions in the world, and that all of them would trace their lineage back to Abraham. He had no idea that was going to happen. Christianity goes Jesus, David, Isaac, Abraham. Judaism goes David, Isaac, Abraham. And Islam goes Muhammad, Ishmael, Abraham. Ishmael was the child that he had with, with Hagar, with Haggai. So everything goes back there. Everything goes back there. He couldn't have known that. He couldn't have known that he was going to change the world. He couldn't have known that his acts of obedience were going to span all the way to today. He couldn't have known that. But what he did know is that there was promise given to him, that there would be great blessings if he was obedient. And he was. What does the Lord want to do with you when you hold open that which is most precious? Your time, your energy, your plans, your dreams, when you hold it open. How will he change the world through your obedience? What will he do 
for you. Fresh perspective on a very familiar passage. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your great blessings. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you are faithful even when we're not. And so, Lord, we hold up to you all that we value, all that we cherish, and say use us and use all that you've given to us in any way possible. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we, uh, we sent out a quick email. Uh, first of all, here, sorry, real quick. Here's your, here's your homework for this week. What are you hanging on too tight that you won't give up? What are you hanging on too tight that you won't give up when the Lord calls your name? Okay, spend some time with that one. All right, so we uh, sent out an email saying, hey, we got a big church announcement. It is an exciting moment in our church. I'm going to take the next five or six minutes, and right now over at another church in town, uh, they're sharing the same thing, and it's a pretty, uh, pretty cool moment for us. And uh, we, uh, back in November, I shared the vision that I felt God gave us for the church as the board prayed about it, as we prayed about what does the Lord want us to move towards, and we said, uh, uh, resoundingly, we kept hearing unity. We kept hearing unity, that we would be a people individually with our families that would be unified with God, following him wherever he asked us to go, right? Just like we've talked about today. Wherever he asked us to go, we would be in unity with God. We would not be a divided people in our relationship with God. And then we said that we wanted to be a unified church, that this local body here, that we would be a united church. We would stop being divided by the way we worship. We'd stop being divided by the, 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 the types of songs or music. We'd stop being divided by all sorts of things, and we'd become a unified church using all the resources that God gave us to be kingdom-minded and that we would be a church that does what? That we'd be a church that unites with the whole body of Christ, not just part of the body of Christ. That we would no longer see ourselves as an island unto ourselves, but we would see ourselves as a, as a resource and a part of the kingdom that can draw people together. And that we would be a unifying presence in the body of Christ. So, so I began to talk to other ministries. I began to talk to other people. I began to share that outside of our walls and say, hey, how could you take the resources of our church and begin to use it? And amazing things started to happen. We started to be involved in, in food ministries. We, we got involved in a, a Parkview High School and trying to help them out with some things. We, we just got involved in several of these different things and going, Lord, where are you leading us? How can we unite and how can you use our resources? We said we got this massive 65,000 square foot building. How can you use it? And so we started inviting people in like the... Like, uh, the, uh, the um, like for our foster care ministry and for other, place, other people and other organizations to use with YMCA and other things like that. We said, great, Lord, what else? And so I started meeting with pastors, and we started having guest worship leaders from other churches. And we said, how can we unite? So I sat down with a pastor from Destiny Church. His name is Greg Wigfield. And I said, hey, uh, Greg, man, I got this idea, and the Lord just has put it upon our hearts to unify. Your church is like literally a mile away. It's, it's barely even that. And we look the same. How can we unite on some things? How can we, how can we really do some shared ministry? Could we, uh, could we have uh, some women's ministry things, kids' ministry things? What could we really do together? And we talked about some ideas. And, uh, like, actually, just on Friday night, our youth ministries got together and had this really great event. And, but really, nothing kind of materialized, really. We just we had a good conversation. Well, he called me a couple months ago, and uh, uh, just before, uh, not too long before Easter, and he said, hey, can you sit down again? I'm like, sure. So I figured we were just going to have another conversation and, you know, just go wherever God leading it. And so as we sat down, he said, hey, uh, well, we just lost the lease on our building. I'm like, whoa, that's crummy, man. He said, yeah. And I said, so I guess you got to go get a new building now, huh? And he goes, yeah. He goes, 
What do you think? What? I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm like, what? He goes, you talked about maybe doing some things together. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And so as we began to talk, first, uh, first and foremost, we actually just talked about it and threw it right off the table. And he goes, what if I would just, you know, we shared part of your building. We, we were at church. We were two churches, like, in one building and stuff. I'm like, that's dumb. And he goes, yeah, I thought it was dumb, too, but I thought I'd say it. And so we had that conversation, and we threw that out. And I go, and so we really we quickly came to this. Well, is there a way that we can um, meet one another's needs? And could possibly the Lord be doing something here that we could be better together than individually? Could we be a better, stronger, united church? Could we align with Scripture when he says, when, when, when God calls for our churches to be united and aligned with one another in Christ, would be, there be a way that we could uh, be better together? And so we started really exploring and asking a whole lot of questions. And so uh, Greg and I have spent the last two and a half months just asking questions and talking and praying together. And then uh, we've involved our board in just asking questions and thinking and talking and praying together. Our staffs met together. And so we began to talk and pray and think. And we began to realize that we are aligned in so many areas. Our statement of faith is aligned. Our philosophy of ministry is aligned. The sizes of our church are the same. Our budgets are the same. The amount of money that we are spending on our on our facilities is exactly the same. Now, think about that one and let that be a mind-numbing thing that we have this that can fit a whole lot more people and they have that and they're spending money a mile away that is equal to the same amount of money we're spending. That is insane. What a waste of the Lord's resources. So we had to start asking questions. And that's where we are today, asking questions. But we've decided as, uh, as the board met and prayed and as, uh, as, as Greg's board at Destiny met and prayed, as our staffs prayed, we decided that this thing is possible, that everything seems to be a, a, a match, and where things hadn't been a match, we could see how it could be. But that's as far as we're going. That's as far as we've gone. No further. Because we will do this as a church. And so we need to figure out as a church if this is what God's asking us to do. It's absolutely biblical. We have no there's no doubt about that. It's absolutely biblical. But is this God's next right step for our churches? Is this what he wants next from our church and from Destiny's church? And that's where we all have to dive in and we have to begin to pray and we have to begin to ask the Lord because we only want to do that which is absolutely right, the next right step for our church. So here's the questions that we're asking that we're going to ask you to continue to pray about. And they're the questions that we asked and that we're going to continue to ask. Could we accomplish more together than separately? Could our community be better served if we are together instead of separately? Could the kingdom of God be further extended by our becoming one church instead of two? You're going to see a list of come out real soon, the 1st of July, about four different prayer gatherings that we're going to put together where we are going to pray and fast as churches. Uh, starting in the beginning of July, there's going to be a spot on our website where we're going to put up questions that we're discovering answers to. And we want you to submit questions so we can get those because we don't have all the answers. It's going to take the body to figure this one out. What questions do we need to ask? And we're asking questions. We've enlisted some people who are considered experts in this and you know, whatever that means. And so we're asking questions. And so we want to put up on the website what we're discovering about those questions. And we want to pray and we want to fast. 
And then there'll be time where we have some town hall meetings where we say, hey, what do we think? This is huge in the life of our church. I call it an, a, a morning here. We've had a lot of different things that we've prayed for and talked about. But here's what, it's not uncommon for uh, a church to enfold another church that's struggling or dying. And right now we have churches all over America that are dying. And they're dying at a rapid rate. But what is uncommon is to find two churches that are seeking and serving God, that are healthy, that will say, the kingdom is more important than our individual desires, likes, or comfort. And so we believe that we can be churches that say that. What we got to figure out is, is this God's next right step for us? And so would you commit for the next month or more, it's going to take us a while, to just being in prayer and asking questions and being involved in the process that we would be God's church, united in seeking him. At the end, if he says no, what a great moment in the life of our church that we united and sought him and we came to that answer. Or if he says yes, can you imagine how great of a moment that is that we united and we get to witness to the world around us, not a dividing church, but a uniting church. Wow. What a great day in the life of the body of Christ. Okay? That's where we're at. Father, thank you for your greatness. Thank you for what you do and that you brought us together in your son and desired for us to be there a whole lot better together with you and one another. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for all you do. In your name we pray. Amen.